0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live, or or good day, rather. I'm Jackie Alemany, anchor of the Early 202 newsletter and congressional correspondent for The Washington Post. Joining me today is Republican Congressman John Curtis of Utah in our ongoing series with members of the 117th Congress. He chairs the Conservative Climate Caucus and is part of the House GOP delegation going to the upcoming COP26 talks in Glasgow, Scotland. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us again today.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Great to be with you.
0: Let's start with COP26. What are your delegation's hopes and dreams for the summit?
1: Well, um, we have a lot that won't surprise you. I I would say uh, very important to us is for the world to see that Republicans, uh, are very interested in the climate dialogue and that we want to see it at the table and that we feel like we have some good ideas. I also think it's important to show a united front to the world. There, there are areas where we're in lockstep with President Biden. Uh, for instance, we want to show how important it is to hold China and Russia accountable and how important it is to engage them in this. And I think you'll, you'll find as many areas as we can that will be there to support the president.
0: So what is that GOP message on climate change that you're, you know, representing on behalf of the Republican Party?
1: Well, um, it's the U.S. way, and that's we can have lower emissions at lower cost without decreasing U.S. jobs. As a matter of fact, we think we can increase U.S. jobs and and that we can lead the the country and lead the world in, in success and greenhouse gas emission reductions with a number of ideas that Republicans feel very comfortable with.
0: Do you see a path forward in having Republicans and Democrats in the future, having a joint delegation?
1: I do. And I think it's really important, not just as a message to the world, but for for success. Right? We know that here in Washington, D.C., unless we can work on the same page as Republicans and Democrats, it's going to be very hard to make long-lasting changes and impactful changes. I think it's very important that we join together and, and join forces and work on this together.
0: Do you feel like you have any clarifying or explaining to do sort of on behalf of the Republican Party in terms of establishing your position on climate change and resolving the climate crisis?
1: Well, listen, it's easy for me to concede that we've not been as active at the table as we should have been. But I would also point out a long history of of, uh, showing that we care. You can go all the way back to to Roosevelt and the national parks to to Nixon and EPA and clean air and clean water, and and Republicans do have a, a strong record. But I'll 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 give you that we've not done a good enough job in speaking up and and sharing our ideas. We've become very good at telling people what we don't like, and I think it's important that we we turn that corner and tell people what we do like.
0: And during our last conversation, something that you said that really caught my attention was uh, that Washington, is, that we cannot be successful, the the US government, in resolving our climate goals without engaging China, which is uh, almost an unorthodox position for a Republican, and it's something that's even divided Democrats as well. What more do you think the US government and the Biden administration can do right now uh, in terms of acting to curb the world's biggest polluters?
1: Well, I, I feel a real closeness with China. I've actually lived in that part of the world for a number of years, and I feel like I, to some degree, understand their culture. And I believe, ultimately, we can work on trade, we can work on agreements, we can work on a number of things. But the real path to success is for the U.S. to develop the low-cost leader of energy that is green, that then China will adapt. I don't think they're gonna get rid of their coal plants until we actually have a low cost leader for them. And I think that's where U.S. innovation needs to lead out and and will play a very important role, not just for China, but for Russia and India and some of these other countries as well.
0: So what does engaging China look like, in your opinion?
1: Well, um, here again, we we can choose to kind of use the the, the stick and, and try to force them. And we do have some tools to be able to do that. I think in our trade, uh, that's a wonderful opportunity uh, to to do that. Uh, you hear a number of conversations about a border t- uh, tax adjustment of some sort, but I'll come back to this concept that all of those may have an impact, but ultimately to, to get China to reduce on a dramatic scale, which we all agree they need to do, uh, the US has got some work to do in, and I believe that's coming up with a low cost alternative for them. And I think that's very
0: realistic. And here at home in the U.S., what emissions cuts is your group prepared to uh, concede or consider?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, there are some, and I'll I'll share those with you. I think at the same time, this is a really good opportunity to point out how much progress we've made. And sometimes I regret that in this conversation we don't stop and celebrate our successes. You know, the United States has reduced more greenhouse gas emissions than the next 12 greenhouse gas-emitting countries combined. And I think I think we need to stop and note that. Now, obviously, we have a lot of work to do. But one of the areas that that I would point out is methane. I think that uh, Republicans can uh, coalesce around some some ideas on methane that our our Democratic colleagues can join us. Colleague can join us on. I think we've got to be pushing uh, more nuclear and next generation nuclear uh, at the very time that President Biden wants to cut our emissions in half. We will have cut our nuclear fleet in half. And of course, uh, nuclear produces uh, little to no greenhouse gas emissions. And I also believe we need to be working on uh, technology. Uh, I think unless we find a way to pull carbon out of the air, we will ultimately be able to deal with China um, and and the vast amount of greenhouse gas coming from them as well. And I'd I'd lay those down as pretty good, important cornerstones. And then we throw out hydrogen as well. I think that's an area where we can all agree uh, that we've got some good possibilities to work on.
0: And climate policy has been a sticking point in the current negotiations over President Biden's uh, large-ranging social spending package. How would you like to see the Biden administration and this bill in particular take on climate change?
1: Well, the worry for me is that it it feels like everybody had a chance to put their pet project in, and we're going to just have this shotgun approach, right? All of these uh, these these little concepts that that work, but none of them have actually been coordinated in this this overall strategy um, to, to reduce uh, carbon. And so, for example, part of that bill is to put charging stations around the country, but nobody's asking the question, where will the electricity come from for those charging stations? And do we even have the grid for those charging stations? And I, I'd, I'd rather see us take an approach that coordinates all of these efforts and, and has a high reaching understanding of our overall objective and, and how we reach that objective and which parts and pieces of that are, are most realistic and which parts and pieces of that are most cost effective and and which parts can we attain uh, the quickest. And I just feel like we haven't had that conversation.
0: So is it fair to say that you won't be one of the lone Republicans supporting this bigger spending package through the reconciliation process?
1: Yeah, and I'm going to assume we call it the hard to know what to call it, right? Many people will know it by the $3.5 trillion price tag. So if, 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 assuming that's what we're referring to. The, the problem with that is, yes, it, it talks about environmental concerns, but it encompasses myriads of other uh, agendas and different things that are hard for Republicans. And so you're right. There are a number of things in there that Republicans find hard to support and wish we could just have the climate discussion, you know, separate and, and uh, allow us just to focus on that.
0: Well, and the bipartisan infrastructure package, which was um, previously passed, which was a, a much lower price tag, did garner the support of some Republicans, although notably a lot of the climate priorities were left out of that package. Um, what do you think the impact is going to be of Biden heading to Glasgow if Congress fails to pass significant climate legislation at all?
1: Well, first of all, on the bipartisan infrastructure package, it's really unfortunate that we didn't have a chance to vote on that the moment it came over from the Senate. I think all of us agree that would have passed very quickly with a large amount of Republican support. And unfortunately, it's been linked together with the larger bill, the $3.5 trillion, which makes that very difficult for the reasons we've just talked about. Now, really, to answer your question, um, while it would be great for President Biden to go over there, uh, with recent legislation or, you know, recent uh, accomplishments, I would just come back to the fact, I think President Biden has a lot to shout from the housetops, um, and, and I, I hope he, he is able to paint us as a leader. Sometimes we step back and say U.S. needs to lead on this, and I quite frankly think we are. I mentioned the, the vast amount of greenhouse gas emissions we have reduced. Um, Let me point to the energy act of 2020. Uh, We we agree as a country to reduce hydrofluorocarbons by 85%. That's stunning, right? And so I do think there are a number of things that he has to stand on um, that are very, very important accomplishments for the United States.
0: I'm wondering from a messaging perspective if you have any advice to Republicans up for re-election in 2022 in the way that they should talk about climate change, especially as um, you have been encouraging uh, your, your GOP colleagues to sort of shift their rhetoric on the issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I think you know, and, and maybe all our listeners don't know, We've formed this conservative climate caucus with over 70 members, uh, House Republican members have joined. That's a third. And uh, we're very clear in that, that the climate is changing and that's had an influence and that we have some good answers for that. And, and so to answer your question, I would tell Republicans, um, look, you've got to move past this question about the, the climate changing and 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 go on the offensive with our ideas. We have some really good ideas. And we should not be um, you know, afraid to, to talk about our ideas. They're, they're good ideas. We need a seat at the climate table. It's been a mistake for us not to be there. And I hope every single one of them will join me.
0: Assessments released last week by the White House, uh, the intelligence community, and the Pentagon concluded that climate change will exacerbate longstanding uh, threats to our global security. I'm wondering what role you think climate change should play in our national security planning.
1: Well, I think it's evident, not just a national security, right, but, but safety. I mean, there's a myriad of, of, of ways that this is this topic is important, but we also have to realize um, that if not careful, we can jeopardize our national security. We're, we're you know, we worked for all these years in a bipartisan way to become energy independent. And just as we reached that goal, we've decided to, to, to not do that, to shut down the Keystone pipeline. And, and literally ask our enemies uh, in OPEC plus Russia to produce more oil and, and, and for us to be dependent on it. So it's, it's two ends of a stick. and We need to pick up both ends of the stick. And I do think we can have it all. I think we can have energy independence and be clean. I don't think we have to compromise one for the other. And I agree with you. Uh, it's a very, very important and, and, and critical topic for us to understand and quite frankly, to work on in a bipartisan way.
0: Yeah, and, and you've said that your mission is in part to get Republicans comfortable with this science. I'm wondering what role you think conservative media can play in fostering uh, this transition.
1: Well, I, you know, I, I would love them to lead out. But if they don't lead out, I think Republican lawmakers need to lead out and that the media will follow. Uh, you know, to some degree, I think we have to blame ourselves for the media not leading out because we've been uh, somewhat absent in the conversation. I'm hoping to turn that around, and and I think by talking about it, we can show the data and we can show our ideas, and, and that helps people feel more comfortable from a conservative perspective, but they don't need to check their conservative credentials at the door to be part of this conversation.
0: And when we spoke last, you had, I think, really just organized the caucus and were sort of getting settled and trying to establish some of your goals if you're taking a step back here and looking at the progress you've made. Um, have you been moving at the pace that, that you anticipated in terms of leading the climate, the, the GOP House Climate Caucus?
1: Well, the, it depends on how we're measuring it. Let me tell you simply, from if we're measuring it by the number of Republicans that have, have signed up for it, we've far exceeded everybody's expectations, right? I mean, I, I remember my staff, On the, we were flying in the day before we were gonna announce this and my staff said, hey, I think we can get 30. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. And just within a couple of weeks, that number had grown to 70. So I would say we've absolutely exceeded our expectations. All of that said, we have work to do. And the next thing in front of us is to, to, to move beyond kind of talking about this to actual concrete specific uh, ideas that we're not only putting out, but supporting um, uh, that are already out there. And that's, I think, the next phase as we move into that. And I I might just mention uh, Kevin McCarthy has started this this task, this climate task force force led by Derek Graves. Their mission is to come up with the the meat on the bones, if that makes sense, and and a a strong list of things that Republicans can and will support.
0: You know, While we're on the topic of you steering the party in a different direction, former President Trump recently made a series of public statements indicating that he believes that he still won this presidential election uh, and that if we don't solve the presidential fraud uh, of 2020, Republicans will not be voting in 2022 or 2024, the single most important thing for Republicans to do. What do you make of the former president continuing to assert such fraudulent claims?
1: Well, first of all, let me tell you um, that I've been very clear from the beginning. Uh, I certified the election. I was one of the first Republicans to congratulate Joe Biden. So I don't, I don't want any misunderstanding about where I stand on this. And, and I'll apologize to your listeners. It, 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 we're in 2021, and they still notify Congress that we're in session by a group of buzzers in our office. And so I, I'm unable to turn those off, but that's what that terribly obnoxious uh, noise is. And let me just say, like, look, this is, this is a, one of those topics the Republican Party needs to look forward on and not backwards. And I'm looking forward. And, and I think that the fact that so many Republicans have jumped in to support this, show you where the future is for Republicans on this topic.
0: You were not one of the Republicans, though. There were nine of them who voted in favor of holding Steve Bannon in contempt last week uh, for refusing to comply with the January 6th Select Committee investigation into the insurrection on the Capitol. Uh, What was what played into your decision not to support that?
1: So I don't mind telling you and your listeners that it's hard in recent memory to remember a vote where we spent so much time as a staff um, talking about this vote. It was not taken lightly. Uh, I did vote uh, for the original commission, the January 6th commission. I was one of those who wanted to see a good bipartisan commission, because there are answers that I don't have answers to. And I think the American people deserve answers to a number of things about uh, January 6th, and I'd like to see those. This guy, of course, um, the moment that Nancy Pelosi rejected Kevin McCarthy's Republican members uh, that we put forward to serve on that committee. You can criticize them all day long, but the reality of it is Republicans were not allowed to seat uh, the Republicans on this committee that we wanted on that committee. And Nancy Pelosi uh, then filled all of the seats herself. And that just was something that was too hard for me to get past to say, look, this is not a legitimate effort. And, um, and, And I regret that because the American people do deserve a legitimate effort from Congress.
0: And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to recent developments in Taiwan. You've championed Taiwan in Congress, and you lived there as a missionary. How do you see China's recent moves in the region?
1: Well, i got to tell you, it breaks my heart. And, and you are right. I lived there for three years and speak the language and have many good uh, uh, memories and friends there. And I'm very worried. This is not a good situation. And I think this is something that for years has been talked about, but never dreamed that that we would have to worry about it. And the problem is, if you look at Hong Kong as a model, we, we worried about Hong Kong and never dreamed that, that China would do what they've done in Hong Kong. And that makes me worry that um, we're going to have significant problems. And I, I, I no doubt this is going to be a very difficult thing for Joe Biden uh, to, to navigate. And the, the reality of it is we have few better friends in that part of the world than Taiwan. We have few uh, democracies that have, have of work to strive for values that we we value here in the United States, like Taiwan, and we have to be very careful. And clearly, um, the relationship with China is also important. But I, I, President Biden, hasn't described a red line. But for me, this is a red line.
0: And in last week's town hall, President Biden uh, responded yes when he was asked by an audience member about whether or not he could vow to protect Taiwan. The White House clarified that there not had, there had not been a change in U.S. policy. But I'm wondering if you think that the U.S. needs to be more explicit in its statements to deter Taiwan, uh, to deter China.
1: Yeah, and and um, I'll go a little bit deeper in, in my relationship there. I was actually I landed in Taiwan just a few months after we broke off diplomatic relationships with them in 1979. That makes me seem very old, I know. But uh, those that were there, the Americans that were there just a few weeks before me had to actually stay indoors because the, the people in Taiwan were, felt so betrayed uh, by that. And uh, of course, over time, that's healed and we have a strong relationship with them. But I was actually very pleased to hear President Biden to say that I believe he should say it and say it with firmness so that China knows it's a red line for us. I think it's a huge problem. If it's ambiguous to them, what our response will be. And I think we just need to be very clear uh, that they're a friend and will protect their interests.
0: And Kevin Rudd, the former Australian prime minister recently said in an interview, uh, and a longtime China observer, I should note that a cold war between Beijing and Washington was probable, but not possible. Where do you think the relationship is headed right now?
1: Well, I'm going to smile. I'm going to use an analogy that may not, may not be a good analogy, but I served on the China task force. And as we've mentioned, I've quite a bit of experience over there. And, and my analysis is that we need marriage counseling, not a divorce and yeah. <laughs> that the relationship is broken. It needs to be fixed. Uh, but the, uh, we, it's very important to the United States that we have a good relationship with China. We don't have the luxury of ignoring them and, and, and uh, the problems that they bring. So I I do believe this is a great challenge for the president and that we need to fix this relationship and that the the peace, the security of our country is dependent on us fixing this
0: relationship. And I know that you've said that your group is still hashing out what legislation, the the climate caucus, what legislation you want to get behind. But is there anything that you have started, any legislation you have started to draft or that um, you found some consensus among the members who have joined the climate caucus?
1: I have. I've I've told my staff, and and they almost smile when they see me coming because they know that um, I'm I'm impatient. I want to see a methane bill uh, come out of our office. Uh, I believe natural gas is part of the answer to reducing worldwide greenhouse gas emissions, but only if we're able to control methane. And uh, so I think it's very important that one of the tools that will lead us out of this natural gas Um, required Republicans to step up to the the plate on methane and come up with some productive legislation. Uh, Congressman Scott Peters has worked very hard, much harder than our office on this, and uh, we've met with him and and hope to be able to find some consensus and uh, feel like it's very, very important that we do.
0: And you had mentioned Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy as being integral to uh, your efforts to try to direct the party in a, um, you know, more scientifically accurate direction when it comes to discussing the issue of climate change. But do you think that Leader McCarthy has done enough to condemn or drown out the voices like Marjorie Taylor Greene and and some members who do continue to amplify rhetoric that is not in line with the science?
1: Listen, I know firsthand um, we can shout from the housetops and, and people don't like to listen. Uh, they want to hear the extremism, right, the, the, the rhetoric. And, and I know, just know my personal experience is I, I, I shout it from the housetops, and they still don't think I'm saying it enough. And so uh, I would say all of us, myself, uh, Kevin, all of us could do a better job and need to do a better job. But at the same time, you can sense perhaps my frustration that even when we do, people don't listen.
0: And I wanted to give you the opportunity to tease any announcements that the Conservative Climate Caucus might be making in Glasgow at at COP26.
1: Yeah, I think it's important that we set expectations. We we don't have any grand announcements. Simply our presence being there is a pretty big deal as as, as you know. Right. And 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 I think we want the world to see that we're engaged. We want to seat at the climate table. We want to be involved in future conversations. We want to find ways to support the president where we can. on on his agenda. And where we disagree with him, we want to put ideas forward uh, for him to consider and hope that he'll be as open minded, uh, considering our ideas as he would like us to be uh, with his ideas.
0: And my last question, Congressman, before we are out of time is, is there anything between now and the end of the year, either in um, the spending bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, that you think conservatives can rally behind uh, with regards to, um, you know, the effort to combat climate change before, before 2022?
1: Yeah, I, I would simply say, uh, of course, there are. There's, there's bits and pieces of that larger bill that we'd love to, to engage our Democratic colleagues on. We'd love to put our ideas forward. Uh, I'm in hopes that we can do some work by the end of the year. And, you know, as you know, and your listeners know, uh, things move in, in strange ways here, and you get little windows. The Energy Act of 2020 was able to go through on the omnibus bill. Nobody you know, could have predicted that exactly for sure. And so the important thing is to be ready when these vehicles come along where we can advance uh, good ideas. And I'd, I'd simply want to point out that we're very sincere about this effort. We want to find paths forward. We want to find ideas uh, that we can support and we want to bring our own ideas forward and, and ask for support on those. And um, I'm, I'm hoping by the end of the year um, our, our good works have become evident and, and we build that trust that we'd like to build with the American people.
0: And unfortunately that's all the time we have today but I'm so grateful for you to take up the time to join us again uh, and good luck in Scotland next week.
1: Thank you and I look forward to our, our, our doing this in person soon. Likewise. Okay, best to
0: you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to
1: WashingtonPostLive.com.